I was just like so hooked on everything architecture, but I wanted to focus on where technology could go with architecture because to me, it didn't seem weird to be drawing on computer. I don't, I don't know why, but it, it didn't. <laughs> Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio, a podcast that talks with architects to learn how they use Apple products in the practice of architecture, with your host, Neil Pan. Joining me on this episode is an architect that has created a firm specializing in creating zero net energy homes and has expanded to include her passion for visual arts with a network of artists for commissioned works, including her own artwork. She built her firm embracing a virtual office model long before world events forced architectural offices to adapt to remote working and has been asked to speak and train other architects across the nation on virtual office and remote working strategies. I'd like to welcome architect Jennifer Ketchmer to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Neil. Before we get to how you kind of structured your firm, I'm curious, what inspired you to become an architect? Oh, well... That's uh, both a long and short story, but uh, I'll start with a little bit since we have time, a little bit of the long story on that. And I'm going to go back even to before I was born. So I am the product of a, a Peruvian mother who came to the United States and met my uh, father in California who had moved here from Indiana. Um, and here is Silicon Valley, by the way. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, my mother was a uh, an accountant, an artist, um, and she loved to sew. And my father was a mechanical engineer, um, a avid uh, carpenter, um, a veteran of the Navy. Um, he was in the Korean War. Uh, and um, loved cars. So as you can see, they both had uh, professional lives, but also a very rich hobby life. And in having parents that were that eclectic, um, I was um, uh, often given the opportunity to uh, try different things, as well as, you know, I spent a lot of time on boats, Um, But I also did a lot of carpentry. Um, My father had no problem with like, you know, throwing a piece of wood at me and say, go over to that tool and make this thing for me. Oh, Um, fun. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I never really got into cars. Um, I have a younger brother. He really got into cars with my dad. But um, And then uh, um, my, um, my mom loved to draw and paint and taught me to do the same. Um, And so I just had this, you know, uh, experience as well as another background too, is that um, I was a competitive figure skater too. So. Oh, really? (laughs) So, so, um, you know, I, I, I ice skated and in the, you know, early in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I was woodworking with my dad. So yes, I had this real dichotomy of life that was going on. Yeah, very eclectic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so from that, um, and and all those experiences, I love to draw, I love to paint. And I really felt like I I had, I was very artistically inclined. Um, But I always had this draw to engineering as well. And Mm. I was I wasn't great at math, but I was decent at math. It didn't, it didn't frighten and scare me. So, and being exposed to uh, engineering, um, you know, some of my first jobs were uh, 
I, I worked um, at one of the companies my dad worked at. Um, they made robots. Oh, wow. Fascinating. <laughs> they made assembly line robots and, um, and they had me in there like sorting screws and, you know, um, and running the blueprint machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the good old blueprint machine with the, uh, that wonderful ammonia smell. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had those, um, those, those experiences in the background. And when it came to like looking at careers, um, you know, I, I really wanted something that was, um, that took my skills of math and engineering, but still also um, paid homage to the fact that I love to paint and, and I really felt that I was more of an artist. Um, and I just happened upon um, architecture through, you know, one of those tests you take in middle school. Sure. You know, they, they see, what do you, what do you like? What do you like? You know, and then it cuts, spits out, you know, what your careers are and my right. careers were, uh, were, um, artists, of course, um, uh, um, uh, advertising. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and architecture. And okay. Like, so architecture, I do like buildings. I do like, you know, I like woodworking. I loved, um, you know, uh, helping dad around the house, you know, yeah. let me find out more about that. And so that was, I was 12 at that time. Okay. And um, so I really started investigating more. What is architecture? What is what is the career of architecture? Because architecture as a thing is different from architecture as a career, right? Right. Um, and I, I didn't come across anything that was a negative for me, you know, even the negative. So I'm like, uh, all hey, the years of school weren't a, a deterrence. <laughs> didn't didn't bother me bother me a bit. In fact, it seemed a little less than trying to go for engineering and then getting a master's degree, right? So okay. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I, as I mentioned, I was born in, in, Stanf in Stanford at Palo Alto. We lived in Palo Alto and then we moved to Sunnyvale. So, okay. and I lived right on the border of Cupertino. So Sunnyvale, right on the border of mm -hmm. Cupertino. And, um, again, uh, I was seeing where architecture was going. My dad took a CAD class, um, at a local uh, junior college. Um, and, um, we were like one of the first people on our street to own a computer. We actually owned an Atari, which is oh, from wow. Sunnyvale. <laughs> yeah. We owned three Ataris actually at one time. And one of those little robots that you, you know, you had. So an actual Atari computer, not just, uh, the 2600 or something video game. Yeah. We had a, a, a 400, uh, an 800 and an 800 XL. And in fact, I got in the 800 in a box behind me right now. Oh, but, wow. Okay. Um, and so also in going to Cupertino schools, um, both Atari and Apple were donating schools, uh, donating computers to our school. Right. So I had that exposure. I had my dad go into CAD classes. He took a, a model making class and I was just like, so, so hooked on everything architecture, but I wanted to focus on where technology could go with architecture. Okay. Because um, to, to me, it didn't seem weird to be drawing on computer. I don't, I don't know why, but it, it didn't. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's at that early age, I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going for architecture. And um, once I learned about Cal Poly um, my freshman year of high school, uh -huh. I never looked at any other university. Basically. Is that right? Focused on Cal Poly and got into Cal Poly right at a, right out of high school so oh that's great 
so those are the very the very early years um and um that's kind of all the things that just inspired me towards architecture I like to use my hands I like to um draw I like to uh I, I like the engineering of it um you know uh, making a bridge in high school and then breaking it was just right. oh that was fun <laughs> <laughs> so, so um I think I was always inclined in that direction and I think the fact that I had these parents that one was extremely you know artistic even though her career was accounting you know and this this dad who who liked woodworking and carpentry right um but was also an engineer just like they came together and just made me basically which just seemed to speak architect so yeah (laughs) well it makes a lot of sense then that you chose cal poly which ironically we overlapped at cal poly we were there virtually at the same time for several years at the same time (laughs) I can't believe we never met each other, but yeah, yeah. Well, I think you started uh, maybe a couple of years after me. I know we were not in like the same design classes that then you kind of hung out with the same people in your studio classes that were the same year of you or or that you were. Uh, So that's probably why we didn't ever meet. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that was, yeah staying within your studio but um i was the aias president at one time which did you know overlap lots of different now when what year were you ais aias president because i was involved with aia oh my goodness that's too many letters to say (laughs) aias uh as well but that was probably 90 91 yeah i think my first year as um a in the AIAS and on the board uh-huh. was, um, I was the treasurer, I believe in 91, oh. 90, it was either 90, 91 or 91, 92. It's hard to remember all of this okay. stuff, but, sure. um, um, and then I was president the following year after I was treasurer. Okay. Um, and then the following year after that, I was student director of the AIA California council. Okay. Um, that I know was 93, 94. So yeah. Okay. Cause I have, I still have business cards from that. Nice. Um, okay. So then it was 90, 90, 92, 93. I was president and then it was 91, 92. I was uh, treasurer. And that would make a lot of sense there because I was in Italy, 92, 93. So oh. then we, we completely missed each other maybe by about a year with our involvement in AIAS. Yeah. Yeah. I went to quite a few of those forums too. Did oh, you, you did? did? Yeah. I yeah. I went to one, uh, but that, I think that was in 89 uh, that I went to that. That was in New Orleans. It yes. was an opportunity Everybody to go to New Everybody told me about that one. It was sounded like it was the best, right? <laughs> it, it uh, yeah, it yeah. was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I, I went to two or three after the New Orleans one, so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that was the, um, we had to fly back like the day after, because it happens over Thanksgiving Yes, and flying back on a Sunday of Thanksgiving is just uh, very expensive. And we were students. So we skipped Monday of school and ended up flying back uh, to LA and then driving from LA back to St. Louis on Monday. So earlier that week, I noticed that uh, the, the, at, well, they're now the Los Angeles Rams again, were playing the saints on Sunday night football that year. <laughs> Uh, on that Sunday that we were held over. And so I ended up buying a ticket and went to the Saints Rams game, which ended up going into overtime and the Saints won. So that was great. The hometown team won. Everyone figured since I was from California, I was for the Rams, but but that that wasn't true. So (laughs) 
I just wanted to see a great game, but uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Good. That the, was a the lot AIS of fun. conventions. And I, I think I went to, what was it called? Grassroots during the summer yeah. uh, in DC. I went to one of those as I well. I went to one of those too. Yeah. I don't remember what year that was. Um, but yeah, they, they called us up in the George Washington university dorms and yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was one of my first experiences with really uh, sweltering heat and humidity of DC during the summer. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yeah. So while you were at Cal Poly, I did want to, you, you had mentioned to me before that you worked in the computer lab. What, was that your first experience kind of using a Mac? How did the whole working in the computer lab at Cal Poly come about? Well, my first experience using a Mac was actually in, in high school. Um, okay. But um, I actually learned to program on Apple IIEs when I was 13 years old at the um, Apple computer camp. Is that right? Hosted by, hosted by Apple. And I was one of two uh, young girls uh, in the entire camp that year. Um, and wow. two of the um, students in that camp um, who created a, a game out of that camp actually um, uh, pr- produced something that Apple sold. Um, it was a little, uh, I can't remember the game, but it was a little um, spaceship, spaceship okay. game. So those are my, my first exposures to, to Apple were being in the Cupertino school district um, that uh, they were, they were donated to our school. They encouraged our student, the student body to use them. Um, and uh, they even took the parents. Um, I have a, I have a lovely old school Apple keychain with the rainbow color. Yeah. And they took the mothers of the PTA out to the opera. So oh, wow. Steve Wozniak took all the moms out to the opera um, one one year, you know, uh-huh. to continue to encourage the Apple indoctrination. Sure. <laughs> Clearly it, it worked. <laughs> so, um, so other than a, an Atari computer, I've never used any computer other than an Apple product. Um, but I got my first um, Macintosh was a Mac 2CI um, uh, in 1990. Okay. Um, from I bought it from the El Corral bookstore at Cal yeah. Poly and um, super expensive too. Um, yes, they were. With the experience that I had in owning my own computer, um, that led to the the job at the computer lab um, oh, in the okay. architecture department right. um, at Cal Poly. Um, there was a lab that had something, I think that we had somewhere between 30 and 35 um, Macintoshes. They were almost all Apple, Apple II, uh, Mac II CIs, uh-huh. um, which was a, a, a very boxy desktop computer that you actually put the monitor on top of the box. Right, right. Um, and we had, um, software-wise, we had our early version of ArchiCAD, yeah. Uh, 2D version. We had um, Architreon. Um, I believe we had an early version of um, MiniCAD, which lays, later became Vectorworks. Yeah. Um, plus, we had all the word processing um, programs as well on there, the early word and and um, some others that no longer exist. Right. Um, and, and the Apple version of, of um, 
What was that? Mac Wright? Mac Wright, yes. Yeah. I yeah. found a book for that, too. Nice. <laughs> Recently. Um, and uh, we also had Print Shop. Do you remember Print Shop? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think it still exists, actually. Giant banners on the, on the uh, image writer the printers. matrix type printers. Yeah. So um, yeah, we had we had all of that, and the um, the lab at Cal Poly also had an electrostatic plotter. That's right. Um, so that was a big. It was a heavy, massive thing, um, but it created these very clear drawings that you could print on um, on transparent bond. So it was. It looked like it was being printed on vellum, and then you could right. take them to a regular, you know, blueprint shop and get your blue lines, right? Right, yeah. Um, which was which was in the building next door at Cal Poly and around the corner. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so I worked in that lab. My primary job was actually a supervisor, and, and that was putting together student schedules and, and, and you know, the um, staff schedules and getting people to work and paying people. Um, but my real passion was fixing the computers um, okay. when they, they broke, <laughs> which they did back then. So yeah. I knew how to take, take a 2CI to apart and put new memory in that and it you know and um um new graphic cards and you know just right. take it apart put thing new things back in it um uh, I, I did more of that and so i don't think i was a very good supervisor <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to remember did they they had those networked but they were kind of just all networked locally to each other weren't they they were networked locally to each other, and it was kind of a pain because we did have internet at Cal Poly with email, but you had to go to a different lab in order to get your email. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't even remember that. I, I that, that may have come later, in like 93 or 94. Well, let's just say I, I, I met a, uh, I, I, I met a computer engineer um, and he wasn't a Cal Poly student. He had actually just graduated from Stanford and we had a mutual friend. Uh -huh. And so our long distance relationships was emails. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> Two years of emails to each other <laughs> from, from Cal Poly to Silicon Valley. So anyway, so I married him by the way, but. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. So um, you're really at the forefront of, of, of computer dating, if you will. <laughs> Long yeah, before. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, some of the friends in our group actually literally met online. Um, so, yeah. like real early, early versions of meeting online. So, <laughs> I got married. So, other than uh, some of the problems with the, obviously their computers breaking down, what were some of the other challenges that you had? You know, in, in the in a Mac lab at at, a, at Cal Poly at the time. So um, there was a recent, well, maybe it's not that recent anymore, but there was a TV show called um, the IT. Uh, was it called the IT crowd or something? The IT crowd. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So um, that's, I felt like those people a lot of times because I mean, everybody was so new to computers um, in there and I would get questions like, you know, um, I, I'm seeing a black screen and literally it was, did you turn it on and off again? Because <laughs> that, that, that was like, that seemed 
even today, that seemed like the, the way you fix things is if something right. went crashing or something, you saw the, a blank screen or things just froze, just turn it on, turn it off. You right, know? right. So um, I, think, I think the biggest challenges was, um, was uh, being patient because right. I had the background of it, but ev- almost everybody coming in were new to using the computers right. um, and, and um, being, being patient and helping people learn how to use uh, the tools that were given to us um, yeah. in, that, in that lab. I think it's also important to remind listeners that back then you didn't really come to school with a computer. So not, not every student had a computer. In fact, most students didn't. And so the computer lab was your computer. Yeah. 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 It was, it was pretty much your first and only exposure for a lot of people. And there was a time when they had some computers actually in some of the studios, um, but then they took them out, put them all in the computer lab as well. Um, so I had a few classes where, where we were in the studios um, with the, the, the Macs and right. um, some of us weren't very happy when they did that because every studio had like a Mac SE or a maybe a 2CI, but usually yes. a Mac SE in the, in the studio and it was available for anyone to use. And I know at some point they took them all out and put them all in the computer lab. Yeah. yeah. I was like, hey, wait a minute. And now our computer that's available to us 24-7 isn't available to us 24-7. <laughs> Well, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it was my fault because I used to like to prank people with the computers and, and um, I would, I would set up the computers so that it would have all these strange sound effects. <laughs> so like, you know, when it ejected a disc, it would make a vomit make a sound. Right, right. <laughs> when you would shut it down, I had, uh, had a Luke Skywalker saying, what a piece of junk. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, those were a lot of the fun things, though, that you could do with a Mac back then oh, that yeah. really you couldn't do with, uh, I mean, really Windows didn't exist yet, maybe very, very early Windows, but you really couldn't do those types of things. And I know that was one of the appeals to the Mac uh, even back then. Absolutely. I think, I think the playfulness, they always kept the playfulness in, 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 in it, with the early computers. Um, that Apple made um, and right into the Macintosh play seemed to be a big part of it. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, the, the windows, even when they advertised it um, uh, or any of the PCs, it was, it was work, work, work. You always saw somebody in a suit looking right. like they were an accountant, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, speaking of, of being an accountant, I guess. I, yeah. So after Cal Poly, I noticed you, you worked for a couple of different architects. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they Mac-based offices or what, what software were they using at the time? They were. So when I got out of Cal Poly, um, um, it was still at the tail end of a recession. Um, right. And it was a little difficult to find a job. It did take me about three months to find a job. But this first firm that I worked for, um, they were an all Mac office and they zeroed in on my uh, supervisor at the Cal Poly lab um, because they were having a hard time managing and networking their computers within their office. And it was only a four person firm. It wasn't like it was a huge firm, but they were having, having problems managing that um, so they decided to hire me um, straight out of school, and uh, my big responsibilities was IT, 
Oh, wow. Interesting. On top of, you know, um, you know, working as a, as a fresh out of school, basically intern. Right. Um, we used at the time Arcatrion. Oh my, right. I remember that. Which I had some minor experience with at um, Cal Poly. I really zoned in on Archicad back then. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I only had minor experience with Arcatrion, but um, that firm was using that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we had, we had some technical problems and we'd have to call, you know, um, their customer service and um, they were in Quebec. Um, and so uh, when you call them, it would all be in French. <laughs> oh, that's a challenge. <laughs> and then when, when you actually got on the phone with somebody and you had to speak English to them, they sounded so disgusted. <laughs> right. Yeah, that sounds about right for, for Quebec. Um, yeah. So we, we used that for a while and, um, and it, was, it was becoming a memory hog. Mm-hmm. So we kept adding more memory to our machines and it just didn't, it, it, it was crashing. So we decided to try out a different product called Minicad. Oh yeah. Right. And um, I believe it was version five or six at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And we put those on and Minicad just ran um, cleaner and faster and, right. and, wasn't as memory card intensive. Um, and so, um, so then it became my job to, uh, install all of that on all the new computers and begin training everybody on Minicad, even though I was new to Minicad, but I seem to have been picking it up faster than, than everybody else. Um, and so then when I left that firm and went to another firm, they were also using Minicad, which was now at this time, I think, transitioning to being called Vectorworks. Okay. Um, and that firm um, was, uh, so the first firm I worked for was almost in 100% residential um, uh-huh. with some small commercial. And the next firm I worked for was 100% commercial with some, some residential here and there. Okay, interesting. And we were using Vectorworks and uh, what, as Vectorworks grew and actually some people may not know, but Vectorworks went full 3D around 99, 2000 um, and really started working on creating a full BIM platform before we were using the word BIM all the time. Sure. Um, um, and, um, and so we were using a little bit of 3d, um, in, in, in 2000 to, you know, 2001. Um, but mostly it was still mostly a, a 2d right. platform for us in the, in the office. Um, and we did, like I said, we did commercial projects. Um, but at that point, um, my it necessity was, wasn't needed as much, um, Everybody in the office knew enough about computers to kind of fix things when when things didn't didn't work and it didn't fall squarely on my shoulders to to be the IT person. So that was great. <laughs> Had an opportunity to do a little more architecture and a little less IT. <laughs> exactly. I did. I did. Nice. After being at that firm for four years, though, um, I finally decided I'm going out on my own. And I wasn't licensed yet. Wow. I made that decision uh, that 
that I had a few more tests to go and, um, and I was going to go out on my own. I didn't want to do commercial work anymore. I had, had just done that. I did want to focus on, on residential, uh, like the first firm I worked for and, um, decided to, to start my firm in 2003. What inspired you after, I think it was about seven years of working for others, give or take, Mm -hmm. what inspired you to do that? I think I always wanted to um, be a a firm owner. I think even when I was a kid and thinking about becoming an architect, I always imagined myself being um, uh, Mike Brady working at home. (laughs) Honestly, that was my thing. I saw, you know, look at this is an architect. He's got this great home office and he's always drafting at home. Right. You know, right. 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 And I, and I thought, you know, I could do that. That sounds great. Um, so, so I think I always had that in the back of my head. And actually at the first firm that I was working for, I actually had an opportunity to buy the firm. Oh. Um, but I just said, I'm just three years out of school. I'm not buying somebody's <laughs> firm. I'm not ready yet. Right. So especially since I was very far from getting licensed at that point, um, I, see. I hadn't even started taking the tests at that point. So, um, so yeah, I, I declined that, but I mean, everybody knew that, that ultimately my goal was that I would probably start my own firm. It was, it was no surprise to anybody. Um, um, and the Kretschmers have a long line of being entrepreneurs. So, um, it, 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 it wasn't, wasn't even a surprise to my family, you know, (laughs) it was like, <laughs> it was de- destined to probably happen then. Yes, yes. Both both minorly successful and very <laughs> big failures. <laughs> the, the Kretschmer's entrepreneurial spirit. So anyway, yeah. um so yeah, so I did I I finally decided to do that and the first part of 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 after quitting quitting my job was to finish those um those licensing exams and get licensed. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, just, I wanted, I I was still trying to get new work um, Mm -hmm. uh, as a designer. So uh, the the firm was initially named J. Kretschmer Designs um, uh, until I got licensed. I see. And then, boy, it just, it just went from there after, after having the company for two years, I finally realized I needed help. Okay. And I hired um, an independent contractor who had worked at the very first firm that that um, I worked at. It, it didn't even occur to me that it was weird because he worked remotely when he worked for that company. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> and again, this was this was like ninety seven, right? So. Uh huh. Um, uh, it didn't seem weird to me to hire him and have him work remotely because that's what he was doing at the, at the other firm. Um, okay. So you kind of fell into that whole remote work thing right from the start, just yeah. to, you know, for, for when you were had, had starting your own firm there, your first employee was virtual. My first employee was, was remote. Um, but I did own an office at that point. Um, okay. And I did, I did hire, um, administrative staff and then the recession hit. Uh, yes. The Great Recession, 2008, the writing was on the wall, you know, and uh, before I started losing my shirt, I decided to get rid of uh, the office and move everything into my home. And I had to, unfortunately, um, give up my administrative uh, staff, um, but I kept my remote worker. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and um, and I moved everything very Silicon Valley style to my garage. There you go. Right. <laughs> Which is actually the same space I'm talking to you now. But in 2015, I remodeled this garage so that it was a full ADU. So. Okay. Great. <laughs> so I have Much heating better. in. Yeah, I have eating and air conditioning, and I don't have to look at the cars anymore. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, plus, I have a restroom and a kitchenette in here, too. So it's like a real office, essentially. I, I, I do my, I leave the house and walk into my detached ADU. Right. And I've, I've made my commute to my workspace. Just like the rest of us are doing to some extent now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that was uh, 2008, yeah. and we went fully remote. Um, okay. And um, and so then it was just me and this other person. He's still working for me today. So he's now wor- worked for me almost 16 years. Wow. By, let's see, 2015, 2016, sorry, 2016, yeah. after I uh, remodeled this garage, things were taking off again. Um, and that's when I started hiring, uh, more and more remote workers. And today I have a total of six remote workers. Um, uh, only, only the one who worked for me from the beginning is here in the Bay area. The rest Mm -hmm. are, um, all over the United States, um, in Maine, in Michigan, in New Orleans, in Ohio, other places, and, and they're all licensed architects, by the way. Only the first person who still works for me is not licensed. Everybody else are licensed in their home state. Since you had that experience with Minicad in those two other offices, and, and then eventually Vectorworks, did you choose Vectorworks as your main platform for generating your drawings? I did. Um, I am still using Vectorworks to this day. Um, okay. We are, I wouldn't call ourselves fully BIM, but we are very close to being you know, more, um, more BIMful. We always use 3D um, uh-huh. in every project now. Um, and uh, our standard template populates to our, our drawings. Um, so um, it's become a much more efficient way to work and also a much uh, better presentation tool uh-huh. with, with clients. They understand that better than, than 2D, 2D drawings. So yeah, we're, we're using Vectorworks. When you started doing all of your virtual office. It did, how did the Mac either help and or hinder that process uh, of working remotely, uh, especially more so maybe in the early days before we had things like Dropbox and uh, you know things that probably made working remotely a little bit easier? What sort of tools or things that you did on the Mac that made that process a little bit easier for you? Yeah, so um, always... You know, being a Mac user, always had to look at the the competition of the PC market, right? Yeah. So many things were made for the PC, um, and it was it was ho- sometimes hard to find good products um, that were in our industry uh, for the Mac. So the biggest challenge was evaluating software um, for you know our use um, mm-hmm. and finding something that that works and um, and wouldn't crash, you know, was, was reliable, uh, as software for our Mac. So, um, in the second firm I worked for, we used QuickBooks, um, on the Mac as well as the Minicad. And since I already was very proficient in both of them, um, I just used the same when I, um, started my firm. When we went remotely though, um, we got Gmail accounts. Okay. 
And so a lot of our files were transferred between us through email um, and they were not very large um, because we weren't using full 3D back then, almost 2D drawings and they weren't very large. So we didn't right. need something like Dropbox or at the time they didn't have Google Drive as a product yet, uh -huh. um, but they did have, have Gmail. And um, we also did a lot of talking on the phone. So one of, one of the things I always tell people when, you know, you, you're going to make your staff remote. Um, it's great that we have Zoom now. We can see each other. We can share screens. But being able to verbally communicate visual skills is is key to really keeping that that communication flow going. Mm -hmm. um, so we spoke a lot on the phone and we had to speak in architecture to each other, you know, because we weren't able to share screens and we weren't able right. to point at drawings. Um, but uh, we were able to have very good detailed conversations about what needed to be done um, over the phone. Um, so uh, for both of us, that was a, a great education. And when we did need to see each other, we would, he, uh, we would meet at a coffee shop or something mm -hmm. like that because he was he actually has a long a long commute to get to me so we would meet at some halfway point um and and pull drawings out and you know have lunch and and then split up and he would also go to um uh, construction sites with me as well okay um, um for some projects um so there were challenges uh but it was completely we were able to fix it with, yeah. without, without much challenge. And I think the, the key is the being able to communicate those visual skills verbally, um, you know, knowing the, the language of architecture <laughs> so, right. or having the same language of architecture. <laughs> right. So, How did you end up building out? You, you said you have six people working with you now. How did you build out that network of individuals and are they all using Macs? Because I know Vectorworks is cross-platform. So is everybody on a Mac? Not everyone is on a Mac. And uh -huh. since all of my staff are independent contractors, they buy their own equipment, okay. um, including Vectorworks. They buy their own Vectorworks. Um, so um, they put it on, on um, whatever computer they have. We haven't okay. had any problems though, transferring between one, you know, PC or Mac version of Vectorworks. They seem uh -huh. to go back and forth seamlessly. It's only when we have like someone on a completely different version, like right. that, that we actually have the translation problem. The computer problem is no longer a, a, an issue. And um, I navigated many things to cloud-based platforms um, okay. so that they can go cross-platform as well, um, but also so that I don't keep anything um, on my local drive or try not to keep things on my local drive right. um, because we all work from laptops now. Okay. We used to have desktops. Now we now we all work from laptops, get a really good graphics card on that laptop and you can always drop a laptop or, you know, uh, get swiped or whatever. So we right. try not to leave our, our, our native files um, solely on someone's, so, uh, someone's laptop. So do you um, have things set up on, are you using Dropbox or Google Drive for that? I looked at different products and um, I came across Citrix branded products. Um, mm. So we use ShareFile. Okay. Um, for as our uh, file transfers, we um, I use Podio for task management. Um, mm. 
and um, write signature for contract signing. Okay. Um, so those are all bundled together from Citrix um, okay. for for us to use. So, um, and that seems to be working really well. I've tried different things here and there, and I know that there are products out there that are actually better than these products um, that um, I'm utilizing with other teams. We've expanded our teams to work with other architecture firms as well. So okay. we use their, their components and, and, um, and their um, systems um, when we work with them. But I think for consistency, it's been good to, to have the, those products together. Uh -huh. um, and then on top of that is creating an operations manual that I use a private Google site um, mm. for our for our team that has um, basically uh, the the CAD standards or the BIM standards um, right. as well as um, how we uh, communicate with clients and how we look like we're one company rather than a group of independent contractors helping me out right, <laughs> which, is, right. which is the real reality so things like communicate how to how to communicate with clients how to um, how to what we name our files, all of those things are on a, right. on a, on a, on a, on a Google site that okay. is private to the, to our users. So you've been asked to speak on the subject of remote working and virtual office. What are some of the strategies? I, I don't want you to reveal everything that you <laughs> would normally talk about, but you know, what, what are some of those strategies that you do discuss and how does the Mac figure into that or Apple products in general figure into that? Yeah, well, you know, with AIA uh, continuing education, you're not allowed to talk on a on a about a specific product um, in oh, case it looks okay. like a sales chip. Got um, it. So, um, so my course is um, quite a bit more general, okay. uh, and but it's based on getting your company set up as a virtual and remote working firm, as well mm -hmm. as discussing the advantages and disadvantages of it. Um, the thing that I already talked about, the verbal communication skills while speaking about graphic right. <laughs> you know, graphic things um, is key in, in, my, in my session. Uh, other advice um, is on backing up files, um, you know, uh, having a company culture, you know, some Company culture is far more important than some people may have given credit to in the past, and it seems like it's a difficult thing to navigate when you are remote, but right. it requires a conscious setup um, of what that culture is going to be, even if you're remote. And mm -hmm. if you're switching from you know an all-office environment and then moving to a more remote what are the things that make your company unique? Um, mm -hmm. How are you going to continue that as, as being remote? Um, I've seen some great examples of, of companies making, um, keeping their culture alive through uh, the pandemic, um, even though they're remote, because they were very conscious about those things. So mm -hmm. our culture is a culture of freedom. Um, okay. So which is kind of the whole reason why I moved my company to my home and then only hired people that were, um, that were remote, um, uh, qualified, but also working remote is I just saw in the field of architecture that we are still running people 
until they're ragged and um, you know overworked and some people losing the love of it because there's there's not as much balance um, mm -hmm. and I think we talk a lot in architecture about balancing our our life and our, our work now but I think now with the pandemic people are being a lot more aware of it um, and that was my initial goal and part of the company culture when I decided to just not hire people as as employees but have only independent contractors was that I, I saw a lot of my my uh, friends leaving architecture for either um, tech or mm -hmm. um, to stay home and and re raise their children um, so you know um, Rosa's uh, the equity um, the missing 32 yeah. percent originally yes yeah, that hit home a lot because um, I saw that there was a gap there of, of, of people with a lot of skill, but just can't do, you know, the 40 to 60 hour weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and so pretty much everyone who works for me has some sort of challenge in their life that keeps them from being able to work in a regular office. I see. Um, so the first person I hired, um, he's been caring for his mom for a long time. You know, um, I have someone else who, um, it, hus whose husband is in the military and they move a lot okay. um, and then had their first child um, and, um, and she's about to move again. Uh, I have, um, I have a retiree, um, uh -huh. someone who just, you know, just worked for a large firm, decided to retire and then said, hell, I want to keep working. So um, right. I have people with, you know, very, very different, you know, life situations and we're able to make it work um, because I am not caring about the time that they sit in the chair. Yeah. I care about the tasks that they perform. So that's another bit of advice I give to people is when you're working, have people working remotely, uh -huh. getting things accomplished, being clear about the tasks that need, need to happen. Those are far more important than how many hours somebody spends on something. Right. So, and, and following through with that, for the most part, I do not bill hourly. I, I bill my clients a, a fixed fee and uh -huh. we make it all work with, within that so that I don't have to worry about not making my bills because someone's not in their seat for right. 30 hours on that one project. You mentioned uh, with COVID and the whole work from home for everybody now, have any of your strategies really changed or have certain ones been more reinforced because everybody over the last 14 or 15 months has been working virtually? Our biggest change is not within our team. Our okay. biggest change was with our clients because prior to the pandemic, we would still meet with clients in person. Um, we would uh, hold just the regular kind of meeting, sitting around a coffee table or, you know, or a conference room table and, and going through the drawings. So because we already had our systems in place as our team, uh -huh. we took those same systems and then put them to the client facing um, and taught and trained our clients how to work with us remotely. Um, so that was our biggest challenge with the pandemic. And now that we've done it, I'm almost like, I don't want to go back. 
<laughs> and and with that, we've also I've also been able to gain um, clients who are I have a client who's in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, I have a client who's in Georgia. You know, um, I have a client who owns um, another house in Southern California. And so um, we are able to meet in using utilizing actually Zoom um, yeah. on the Macintosh and being able to m move forward projects without actually having to physically be in the same room. So right. um, taking taking those systems, we use like uh Google Drive. I mentioned that earlier. We use Google Drive and Google Docs, Google Sheets, all of those products um, mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, Google Sites can create a. I can create a website for my client um, to keep track of everything through the project. Um, Google Docs we use with them as well. Um, so we also use um, the photos at house.com with clients to communicate okay. with each other. Um, so, um, yeah, as I mentioned, we're moving a lot more towards online and cloud-based and not necessarily Macintosh uh, native products um, anymore. Now, something I found interesting is you offer a virtual firm education services. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how that works for you? It is in its infancy. Um, okay. And um, uh, it was kind of based on how um, Mark has the Entree Architect Mastermind. Uh -huh. um, it's just a way for people who are interested in virtual offices to get my blog content, um, but also have a meeting with me once a month to mm -hmm. ask questions and talk about challenges within their virtual office. Um, so that's really what that is. It's still very young. Um, and it might get transferred to another product because I am developing a uh, new coursework. Um, and hopefully we can get that coursework off the ground um, pretty soon uh, because we do have a lot of firms who are thinking about what are we going to do now that we're moving back into the office or having the ability to move back into the office. Right. A lot are asking themselves, do we really want to do that? What what do we want to learn from this pandemic and how do we want to move forward with our firms? I'm seeing a lot more firms um, and a lot more staff uh, saying, I'd rather just try to continue doing things the way we're doing and right. maybe some sort of a hybrid model. So. So I'm developing content on that with a partner um, who also runs a, a, a virtual firm doing large projects. Okay. And, uh, and that's what that's all about. Um, I'm also on the practice management knowledge community. I'm on the leadership with another architect who runs his firm. Um, he's been doing it for about 10 years. He's been running it virtually and remotely. And he also does very large institutional commercial mm. projects. Um, so it's not just, even though I'm a residential architect primarily or small commercial, it's not just small, small projects that can be done this way. Right. Um, there are firms who are successfully navigating this um, with large projects and are happy to continue it. So and a lot of them are Mac-based too. <laughs> That's good to hear. 
One other thing I wanted to touch on before we take a quick break is your art. You've incorporated your passion for art into your practice, and you used to uh, co-own and run uh, an art gallery, actually. And so I just just touch on that for a bit. You know, how how is that incorporated into your into your practice. <laughs> These days, I don't feel like it's very incorporated, honestly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to paint or, or do much of that because there's so much work in architecture. Okay. But I will say that that all started with the recession, with the lack of architecture pro- projects. Um, uh-huh. I, I wanted to see, you know, what can I do with my art career and how can I promote it? And so I did become co-owner of a, of a gallery um, and um, was showing my artwork and selling my artwork at that gallery, um, as well as the artwork of about 20 other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I started re- listening to a, a podcast called Artists Helping Har- Artists artists helping artists that podcast primarily focused on the business and marketing of art and actually that led towards business and marketing within my architecture firm which is a whole nother thing we could talk about right (laughs) but um I learned so much from that podcast and it really opened my eyes about marketing and about business um, of creative ventures, right? I mean, it's really more about not just art, but of any kind of uh, creative type um, venture. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the the recession, I supplemented my architecture uh, income with this, this artwork. And I probably painted about 50 paintings a year at that time. Wow. And, uh, and sold, you know, and then, of course, put them in the gallery and sold them. And I primarily, I loved watercolors. Um, I experimented with, uh, with iPad painting. Okay. <laughs> and, and taught iPad painting classes at the gallery. What's your favorite uh, iPad painting app then? I love Procreate. Okay. Um, and then my second favorite is Sketch Club. Sketch Club, okay. Uh, yeah, Sketch Club. Sketch Club is fast and easy to use, and I, I actually started plein air painting, that means outdoor painting, with okay. my iPad. Um, so uh, uh, people would, you know, it, it started with me getting kicked out of Santana Row for painting watercolors at Santana Row without a permit. Oh. Um, that is a, Santana Row, for those who don't know, is a shopping center in San Jose, and it's a very high upscale shopping center. And I sat down to, started painting my watercolors in a and a security guard came by and said, you can't paint here. Do you have a permit? And I'm like, I don't have a permit. You know, he's like, well, I have to walk you to your car. And oh my. <laughs> wow. And so then I came back with my iPad and, you know, it just looked like another person sitting there with their iPad, but I was oh, painting. Oh, clever. Okay. So I enjoy plein air painting, painting outdoors whenever I can. Um, and uh, so that's sort of what the, the art career you know, started with having more time during the recession and then just continued um, uh, to today. Um, and I did get commissions to do murals um, oh. and, and things like that. So I think I have one mural on my website um, uh, that I actually got good pictures of. And, and, uh, and so. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's great. What a way, way to supplement your income during a great recession and 
Do you have any of your clients buying your artwork for their homes that yes, you're doing? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And, and I actually will sometimes give my clients one of my paintings, um, uh, you know, when they move in. So um, usually not an original. I usually give them one of the G clays um, okay. uh, of reproduction. Um, but uh, yeah. Is that another marketing tip? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> giving away your artwork is, you know, well, yes. at the end of a client project. Yes, because, uh, you know, always be marketing, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, so we're going to take a short break. And after we're going to learn a little bit more uh, about your Mac and Apple journey uh, right after this. Support for Inside the Apple Studio comes from Monograph. Are you tired of using dated and clunky software to manage your firm? Or do you feel frustrated wrangling all of your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today? Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets in real time. With their awesome Money Gantt, you can immediately see whether you are under or over budget. Do you need to adjust your projects week to week? Their new tool, Resource, allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Be proactive with Monograph. Learn more at monograph.com, and thanks to Monograph for their support. Welcome back. Jennifer, we, we've explored your architecture journey and, and a number of other things along the way uh, as well, uh, including your early exposure to Apple and the Mac at Cal Poly. Now, let's go a little further and talk about your use of Apple products and how they help you run your practice. And you've already mentioned one of my first questions uh, you answered earlier. You had a Mac 2CI, which you bought at the El Corral bookstore. I bought my first, actually not my first Mac. I bought my second Mac uh, when I graduated uh, to take advantage of a significant student discount that they used to be able to get at, uh, at college for Apple products. Uh, I think I bought a Centra 610, which lasted for all of about maybe five months before they replaced it with the Quadra. But <laughs> how often do you upgrade your Macs, you know, for your practice? Do you have like a plan every two or three years, or you just kind of let it go for a long time and then replace it? What, what's your kind of strategy on that? Yeah, so it's a little bit of, of a business plan. So the financial plan, as well as, um, um, what's going on with technology and financial plan. I also look at like the depreciation right on your taxes. And so, um, you know, whether I got to depreciate it or not, but for the most part, I'm a little bit lazy as well. I don't want to have to change every single time you get a new Mac, right? Yeah. You, know, you got to upload everything and new uploads, and then you got to make sure you have the right version and that things don't crash. And so being someone that was used, um, Apple products and Mac products for a long time. The number one bit of advice is never buy generation one. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard that. <laughs> and so let let other people beta test the generation before you 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 jump in, even though you really really want to. <laughs> right, right. That has always been my my uh, my big you know, thing is that I just, I really want the new Apple thing, but I can't because I know that I need to wait till they work out those bugs. So you don't have an M1 uh, based Mac yet. I, take I do it. not. That's right. I do not have an M1 based Mac yet. Um, usually it's about every three years that I um, circulate and get a new, a new product. Um, although I will say that Mac 2 CI, man, I kept that almost, gosh, I think it was 
1998. I think I had it eight years, you know, and I remember it like I, one of those things every two years, I would put more memory in it or a new card or something. And I remember in 1998, I put the two new upgraded bits of RAM in there. And I, I think I had too much static and I turned the thing on and it played the March of death. Have you ever heard the, Mac I thankfully it was not uh, a personal experience where a machine went bad, uh, but I have heard that it's, it, it's, it's like a car crash, isn't it? Or am I thinking of a different one? No, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a little song. It could, it's a little something like that. I can't remember the song. Oh, my heart just sank. You know, I was like, oh, I blew up my computer. And I didn't really think of it like, oh, it's only it's been eight years. Come on. You know, so. um, So, yeah, I was running Minicad on that thing for years. Um, And then uh, um, and then after that, I got into the regular routine of every like three years of basically just getting a new a new Mac, uh, a new Mac product. And I've had everything from the cube do you remember the cube? I've got one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It had, so the cube had no power supply within, it had an external power supply that was basically like a big giant box that was on the, on the, on the floor, uh, um, like an AC adapter like thing. But then the cube had, had no fan in it. So it was right. super quiet, had this, I don't know, natural flowing cooling tower. Yeah. That was a cool product. I had the um, mirror drive, the uh-huh. one that had the that had the mirrors on the front cover, and oh, those were great because they were so easy to modify. That one I probably kept longer than I, I think I had it for six years and kept running it, uh-huh. and you know because you could open it and just shove new stuff in it and then shut it. It was so easy to upgrade. Um, I actually still have a a Mac Mini from two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm that I just keep in the office and whenever I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's actually in the house uh, office. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's like, I don't want to go out to my studio to go turn the Mac on just to do some search on a, on a larger screen. Cause I have to admit I'm getting old and searching on the phone is not so easy anymore. <laughs> I can't read it. I'll just, I'll just boot up the little mini the mini that I've had since 2008 and just run the internet off of it. So yeah, I've had, I've had pretty much, I I never had one of the, the colored uh, bubble IMAX, but we had one of those at, at, at my office. And um, I never had one of those because they weren't powerful enough um, for running the the CAD, but yeah. And, and I still have a first generation iPod in my, in my car. Oh, really? Permanently attached to my car so that, you know, it just, it has my thousand songs on it, so I just, <laughs> just rotate through. Those I just rotate songs. through my thousand, my favorite thousand songs. You know that doesn't really change that much. So right, right. Um, so so yeah, there's there's Apple products like floating all over my house. Um, you know, I have an iPhone four, I have an iPhone five still lying around. So what Mac are you currently using? Um, I am using a MacBook Pro. Um, so another bit of advice is that don't always buy just their standard thing. You know, they have a standard model. You need to customize your Mac and yeah, it seems like it's going to cost you more money, but it really doesn't. What they have as a standard Mac that's available, um, 
you can really customize and get a lower price or even or customize it even more. So I have a MacBook Pro. Is it a 16 inch? It is a 13 inch. 13 inch. Okay. So I run a second or third monitor um, to the side. Um, and it is, I think it's an i5 chip. You're ready for that next yeah. M1 uh, PowerBook that, or PowerBook, there's an old one. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Mac. <laughs> I had one of those too. <laughs> I had a PowerBook Wall Street. Oh, yeah. The black one. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. And then I had one of those first uh, MacBook. Pros or MacBooks that were titanium. I don't think the ones that are now are titanium. I think there's some other metal that's. The new ones are all aluminum. The, yeah. the, the, the titanium PowerBook G4, that was a pretty remarkable machine. Yeah, that one I, I, I kept around until it got dropped. Um, oh, out. <laughs> You're ready for that next MacBook, hopefully this summer. That'll be a second generation. I'm on my third year with this current laptop. Um, so I think the biggest problem that I have is that um, I have been using QuickBooks Pro um, since I started my business um, uh -huh. and QuickBooks for Mac has been uh, on and off getting discontinued, not discontinued. So I'm not sure what cycle we're in, but I know for sure that the current version of QuickBooks that I'm running will not run on the next Mac. So I will definitely have to buy new software. So, and then that's the, the hard thing about when you have the desktop software is, and you've been running it for so many years, I have so many years of data and I don't right. want to lose that data because that's how I, how I charge my fees is to go back and look at the data. Right. Right. Sounds like that Mac mini of yours is going to get some more use out of the future. So you can still run your old Mac QuickBooks on that while you transfer to something new. That could be. I've I've made my husband my accountant, so um, so we have QuickBooks running on his Mac. Which, okay. by the way, it's his first Mac he's ever had. I'm so happy that I have finally converted him. <laughs> How did that conversion happen? <laughs> I, I think I just the earworm of me. Like every single time something would happen with his PC, I would see like you know what that never happens to me on my Mac. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I think he fi it finally happened, you know, he finally yeah. and, and then also when he he worked for Google, um they gave all their employees at that time Macs. Um it okay. was prior to Chromebook. Um they gave them all Macs because um the PCs were too uh were had too many security holes. Right. Um and so they they wanted them running Macs with I think Linux on them as well. So so he had his he had his first use of a Mac um, through his employer, um, okay. but then finally, finally decided to buy his, his own because of, you know, the security things that, that he was told from Google and as well as um, my earworms. So. Right, right. So <laughs> you've been using Vectorworks for a long time. Yes. Do you have like the Vectorworks designer, the whole suite, or you just use the architecture portion? And are, are there other apps that you use in conjunction with Vectorworks to produce the drawings that you do? Yes. Yeah, so I use um, Vectorworks Architect um, product um, solely, nothing else. Okay. Um, but I do um, uh, export my models um, and use a little service called Modelo IO. Yes. Modelo like the beer. Okay. Dot IO. Um, it is a cloud-based site where you can upload your models, IFC or any other, you know, I usually use uh, th uh, 
three DMs, um, mm-hmm. and it makes it very easy to share with clients. Um, Vectorworks oh, does have a cloud-based portal that you can upload and you can share with clients, but the for some reason, for me, I don't like the way the models look when they go up on the Vectorworks cloud to share that with the clients. But the Modelo um, comes in um, however I want it to. And I like early on in schematic design to give my clients something that looks like a, a foam core model. Okay. A yeah. white foam core model so that they're not too hung up on things like, you know, the roofing material or the siding material or whatever it is. I, I want it, I want them to see the shape the, and the forms. Right. Um, and Modelo does that very, very well. Um, and, and you can, it does shading and everything in it. You type in what city you're in, you type in what time of day, and it automatically does a heliodon on your model, even if you didn't have a heliodon on your model when you initially exported it. So I like that, that little product. Um, yeah, <laughs> but okay. I we we've have SketchUp and we've tried it, um, but um, I'm not very proficient in it. So some of my other workers will use SketchUp and then uh-huh. import into um, Vectorworks. Um, you can also import Revit models into Vectorworks as well. So if someone's right. working on Revit, they can import um, and and also um, export the other way too. So I have one project where um, we are working as a consultant of another larger firm and they're a Revit firm, but I'm the design architect. So I'm designing things in Vectorworks. I send it to my staff member who uploads it to the Revit model and and populates it to the model that's on BIM 360. So Okay. Interesting. And that all works pretty well. Um, it seems to, but I'm not the one doing the nitty gritty of it. So I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the gotchas are, but it, it, it seems to be working pretty well with us and being able to communicate with that. Yeah. Um, another thing I love online for presentation and design, um, and also design collaboration is Miro, M-I-R-O. Uh-huh. It is a, it is like doing a charrette board. So if you can imagine in, in, in the not virtual world, but in the real world of having a big giant whiteboard and everybody sticks things up on the board and puts right. post-it notes and then sketches on top of things, Moreau is a tool that allows you to do that in the virtual environment. Wow. And we've had really great collaborative meetings talking about um, the, the design of the project and moving things around um, while uh, on a combination of like Zoom and, and then Miro. Um, oh, interesting. Really great, great product. We, we love, love, love using. So those are some like the, the design and, and presentation tools. I still use Photoshop. You mm-hmm. know, I think Photoshop was something, one of the first things I had on my Mac 2 CI. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, and I actually use a uh, Photoshop elements on my Mac because it is a lesser expensive, but still a very good quality product, right. um, to, uh, to edit images, um, and, and cut and paste things. Sometimes with clients, um, early on, I have a picture of their existing house and I'll Frankenstein it on Photoshop, you know, (laughs) just to kind of give them some ideas of what it could be and see before I go deeply into design um, and and get some early feedback. Um, So Photoshop is, and Photoshop Elements is really good for that. So you mentioned you use QuickBooks for accounting, but you're having to move away from that. I'm curious to, to peek into your thoughts about 
what you're going to do for the future on that. I'm not, I'm actually honestly not sure. I have okay. tried some other products um, like uh, ArchiOffice. Uh -huh. um, uh, I found, at least for me, ArchiOffice a little overwhelming. There's almost yeah. too many choices. Um, and I also tried QuickBooks Online, and that was a fiasco. Um, mm. I did not like their online version. Of course, it was pretty new then, so yeah. um, uh, maybe it's better now. Um, but like, I couldn't get my checks to print correctly, and and like now, who who uses checks? But right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just some little things that that just. Um, was was very difficult. So I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go. Um, since I'm not doing the accounting anymore, I'm going to let my husband like mess around. Less of a concern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, I just give him the parameters. We need to keep our data. Right. Right. <laughs> and it needs to be easy for you to use because he doesn't like QuickBooks. He complains all the time about it, whereas yeah. I'm used to it. So it doesn't bother me. The the quirkiness of the software. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you're starting out your firm, I don't necessarily recommend QuickBooks right off the bat. I think it's a slowly dying platform. It might be. Is there anything you use for like project management? Yeah. So Podio is my favorite project management tool and it's one of those Citrix product products. Okay. That's um, right. Podio it's how do I explain it? It's sort of like you create your own apps to work within Podio. It's met, set up as a task management, but you create your own app. So I have a, a project, let's say a project app where the project information um, is on a job board. So um, because everybody's independent contractors with me, mm -hmm. they have to kind of pick their jobs and send me a proposal for what they want, which projects they want to do. So in oh, order to communicate with that with them, I have a job board on Podio that as soon as a contract is signed, it, I put that up on the job board and they can see the scope of work, the um, anticipated number of hours, the schedule, um, who the client is, um, all of the, you know, who's the jurisdiction, you know, all of the pertinent information uh -huh. um, populated onto that job board. And then at the bottom of the job board is tasks. Um, and I have another app that is a task app, but from that job board, I can click on a button and create a task and it'll populate it to another area so everybody can see what tasks are assigned to them. But it also remains connected to that job in the job board. So mm. um, so you can look at them both ways. So um, again, I said we primarily are task based. So it's up to me to tell everybody what their tasks are, what what you know, what phase of the project we're in and 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 what's the expected timeline um, for things to happen. So that gets populated also through Podio. What task app you, you mentioned uh, a task app that you use to to generate oh, oh, that? It, it's within Podio. It's oh, just it's called Tasks. It. I see. So, okay. So you can either create your own apps on Podio or you can use um, apps that someone else has already created oh, interesting. Um, in order to create your your com company system. I so see. in that in our company system, we have that job board, which is called projects. We have the tasks, um, which is also called just called tasks. Um, we have the schedule. Um, um, I have to look at Podio and remind myself <laughs> see all the different things that are there. What we have on there. Yeah. Um, and there's also um, kind of like Slack. Um, there's mm -hmm. also a, a way for us to chat and communicate through Podio as well. Um, 
um, but it goes directly back to that job board. So someone creates a, a, a chat, we can keep within that job board, within that specific job, all the communications within there. Um, but we are creatures of habit. We do tend to shoot back to email <laughs> right. very often. So is this Podio a, a service that you pay for? Yes, essentially? through, okay. through um, Citrix is the owner of Podio. Okay. Now I do use Slack and I love Slack by the way as well. That is a really good communication communication tool, but it doesn't do the task management like Podio does. So, right. you know, uh, it's I think the main thing is to try different things and find out what works for the way you you like your processes to right, happen. Right. So, let me let me look at my apps folder and see what else I have on my my Macintosh. Okay. Um that are some of my favorites. So I mentioned Photoshop and Photoshop Elements. Love using that. Let's see. I, of course, use still use all of the Microsoft um, Excel, PowerBook, no, Power, I mean, sorry, PowerPoint, PowerPoint yeah. um, and Word. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm starting to navigate more towards the Google products of those. Um, but for example, I use PowerPoint a lot um, for my presentations mm -hmm. um, when I'm talking about like the virtual office or now as president of the AIA Silicon Valley chapter, I, you know, our meetings on our meetings are all online uh -huh. so i create powerpoint presentations um but we use we use zoom and i can record um a video with powerpoint mm -hmm. um and create a webinar and then upload that either to my website like some of the stuff you've seen on my website or you know our our youtube channel something i wanted to ask you about you offer a number of free guides on your website and they all look fantastic. What do you use to produce those on your Mac? Oh, that's great. A combination of things, but a lot of it is mostly Word. Um, oh, really? To cre create those. Um, also pages. Okay. Um, Apple pages. Um, right. Apple pages is very um, graphic user interface. So what we call GUI, very, um, mm -hmm. that type of an interface. So I, I, I do like that as well. Um, it's, Sort of like there used to be, um, there used to be a word, uh, more like a publishing tool mm -hmm. that I can't, I can't remember the name. Was it Right Now or it wasn't Word Perfect? Nissus Writer was another one. I don't remember the names, but Pages is more like that. It is more like a publishing tool, right? So that's why I like like that, and it comes free with your Mac. So I mean, like. If you want things to look graphically great, that's a mm -hmm. good way to to really orient. Um, it feels like you're you're putting your high school yearbook together sometimes, yeah, but, yeah. but it it's really easy to use. Those um, guides. I wish I could say I was the genius who came up with the idea of putting those on my website, but the reality is, is I learned all of that from Architects Marketing Institute. Okay, um, it is. Um, like Entree Architect, but a different group. Um, and their primary focus is to teach architects how to market their businesses. Okay. Um, and the the leader of the company, um, he, no, Enoch Sears was part of it at one time. He's not uh -huh. part of it anymore. Um, but um, but the uh, 
the other leader um, came directly from marketing. Like he has his origin story of going into architect marketing, of meeting an architect who happened to come to one of his marketing things and realizing that architects need more help than say a financial (laughs) analyst or a lawyer. And so the Architects Marketing Institute was was born and and, um, they have a a very uh, well put together system of teaching architects how to do certain things on their websites with marketing and primarily is those guides yeah um and they actually have templates so they started with templates that i modified and and added my own my own things um, to it and then put them up on my website so um including the um the booking calendar as well that that was an idea through marketing uh architects marketing institute and the booking calendar has really saved my life through this pandemic um, Uh because um, I don't answer my phone anymore. I wait for people to fill out the form on the website um, and and then uh, arrange an appointment with them and, or they have arranged a booking appointment from with me already. Um, And so most of my projects come through my website and then come through this booking calendar rather than people calling me or just emailing me. So that's fascinating. All right. So as we come to getting closer to the, the closing part of this segment, I want to ask you, what is the favorite thing about using a Mac and your other Apple devices? Um, I think that it's just their ease. Um, I think they're very intuitive. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to just pick up things. And although it's a, a piece of software or an app that I've never used before, I just feel like I'm able to figure it out very quickly. And the reliability. Um, I, I, you know, Max will crash like anything else, but I don't find them crashing very often. Yeah. Um, I, I, I never turn my laptop off anymore. In fact, I have to remind myself to reboot it every once in a while or, or even shut it down, like give it a break. Right. Because I leave everything just on all the time and, and they, they're just working. If anyone's listening and considering using a Mac in their business, what piece of advice would you give them? I think to start with um, what's the most important software that you're going to use. So if you, if, if your BIM software is going to be something that's not going to run on a Mac, you have to, or isn't native to Mac, I should say, um, you have to figure out how to make that, that work on the Mac and go back and look at the technical specifications for that software. So I always start, since Vectorworks is such an important part of our business, I always start with Vectorworks and look at what the system requirements are and mm-hmm. especially that graphics card. And then I bump up to the next level graphics card and create, customize a Mac for myself that that's going to optimize the use of that software. And then all the other software just falls in place because none of them are as graphic or memory intensive as the, as Vectorworks. Right. Or that main piece of software that you're running your business on. Exactly. Creating your, your, uh, your income from basically. So exactly, exactly. (laughs) I appreciate you sharing your Apple journey with us. And before we move to our final segment, I want to share, uh, like you to share with the audience, one app utility or service that you find most useful. I think you've kind of already told us, but I'd like you to tell us what do you think is your most important one? 
Yes, Vectorworks is 100% the most important piece of software and bit of my business uh, in, in our firm. I have been a user for more than 20 years. I am not the only user that has that kind of longevity with it. Anton Predoct has been using Vectorworks mm -hmm. for over 20 years. Um, and it's affordable. <laughs> um, so for, for a small firm, it's easy to afford. Um, it's reliable. And the customer service is great. So, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Vectorworks in general, which has made it so hard for me to even look at any other product because like the team at Vectorworks, they always make sure that my, that they always call me to make sure my software is running well. Right. You know, they have conferences. They've invited me to conferences. I've been to, been to their events. I mean, I just feel very well supported as well as that it's a, a, a software package that I've feel very comfortable and very reliable. So awesome. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So let's move to our final segment, which is going to be our 10 questions. You ready? All right. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Number one, our first question, what's your favorite word? Gosh, this is so hard because I like so many words. Um, but I think the one that's just popping in my head is exuberance. I am, as you can tell, I am um, a person who is likes to talk and likes to be out there and I like to be excited by things. And so I think that's, that's probably my favorite word. So what's your least favorite word? <laughs> I don't know. Anything negative. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it's just negative. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That works. So what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I am very drawn to nature. When I paint, I like to paint outdoors. When I paint in the studio, I'm usually painting flowers or landscapes. Um, I, I love being connected to the, the outdoors. Um, and I find that really inspires me both in my art life and in my architecture life. I like things to fit within their neighborhood context and within their environment. What turns you off? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Anything too industrial or smelly. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Oh, Birds chirping is my favorite sound. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, a car crashing into my fence. <laughs> the sound of a car screeching, yes, because it all because people tend to crash into my fence here. So <laughs> Okay, all right. That sounds a little a little close to home, literally. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, lately, it isn't even a curse word, but whenever I get mad, this, you know, I start saying fart knockers and my husband and kids think it's hilarious. I don't even know where it came from, but I think that works as my cur curse word, even though it's not a real curse word. <laughs> That's okay. I don't have to bleep that one then. <laughs> <laughs> fart knockers. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm. So, so I consider art as one of my professions. So architecture and art are, are combined. So I'm, I'm 
not going to say art, but um, honestly, I'm really drawn lately to like marketing and advertising. And it goes back to that 12 year old, you know, uh, test I took when I was 12, right? You know, that said my best careers are artist, architecture, <laughs> or advertising. And I, I do do tend to like marketing quite a bit. So I think I could do okay in marketing. What profession would you not like to do? Mm, uh, I could not be, um, uh, I could not work on a garbage truck. <laughs> <laughs> Or waste treatment. That goes back to that smelly comment earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And our last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, gosh. I would hope that God would say to me, that I made a, an impact, that I made a, a positive impact in the world and the environment. So I would like to hear God say, good job. We're glad you're here. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's a great way to sum it up. Jennifer, I'd like to thank you again for joining me on this episode of Inside the Apple Studio and tell our listeners where they can best find you online. So you can find me at my website, um, which is jkretschmer.com. So the first letter of my first name and my last name.com. Um, you can find me there. Um, you can also find me at aiasiliconvalley.org, where I am the currently the AIA Silicon Valley president. Great. Well, Jennifer, I really appreciate your time. And thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a fun time. Great. Okay. Bye now. I have been your host, Neil Pan, and thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Apple Studio. I'd like to thank my guest, Jennifer Ketzmer, for joining me and Monograph for their support. Learn more about Monograph at monograph.com. Find the show in your favorite podcast player by searching for Inside the Apple Studio and support the show by leaving a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. Remember to follow the show by selecting the follow button in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com.